Listener Production. Hi, I'm Elle Ferguson and this is Sliding Doors, where I chat with inspirational people from the world of fashion and beauty about their sliding door moment. That is, the moment they took a chance or made a life change that led them to where they are now at the top of their game. Having founded my own fashion and beauty brand, The Elle Effect, I know that succeeding in these industries isn't easy. So I'm inviting the people I admire most on the podcast to share their stories, insights, and tips for turning your passion into a career. Hello. Ah. How's that? Oh, there you go. It's lit up now. And then I've got this recording. Designer Paul Vasilev is the creator and founder of Palo Sebastian, an incredible Australian couture brand. He's the boy from Adelaide who took his dreams of being a fashion designer all the way to Paris and Milan, only to come back to Adelaide and build a global brand worn by celebrities around the world. I have to get back to Adelaide yeah. so I can come play. That was the 2020 dream. I know. Maybe be the 2021 dream. <laughs> I first came across Paolo Sebastian on Instagram. I actually thought the brand was French. The couture and the detail was incredible. And then I actually found out Paul was the founder and creator of Paolo Sebastian. A chance encounter with him at a fashion week gave me the opportunity to wear one of his designs. We've been friends ever since, and I can't wait to hear what sheer determination and not taking no for an answer can do. Okay, I'm definitely recording. I'm like... I know, double check. And then you're like, is my mind playing tricks on me? (laughs) Paul, thank you so much for joining me on Sliding Doors. My pleasure. Especially because I now haven't seen you in like a year and a half, which I thought I would have... Well, I was thinking it's been a year because we saw each other last at Vance. Yes. That was the last hurrah that nobody... (laughs) Yeah, and that was the last thing I think anyone went to. (laughs) So to start things off, I'm going to do something that I call the fast five, which is super quick, super easy. Don't think about it too much because the less you think about it, the more truthful it is. (laughs) So here we go. An item you can't live without. Oh, I'm sad to say my phone. What's your most used app? Uh, So I use Procreate for work and I do a lot of my sketching on there. I like that. What's the last photo on your phone? Oh... We had my girlfriend's grandfather's birthday on the weekend, so we've got a nice family shot on there. What's one thing you always have in your fridge? Ice cream. Oh, this freezer. Uh, Fridge, blueberries. And a hidden talent that nobody knows you have? Accents. I can do accents. Oh, this is going to be fun now that I know that you're going to do that. And impersonations. I I impersonate my staff, which is probably not (laughs) the nicest thing. It's in, in a nice way. Yes. What's amazing, I think, about our relationship is is that I had always seen your designs, but I had never actually met the mastermind behind the designs. And then we had a chance yes. encounter with a high T yes. for Frozen. And then I fell madly in love with you when I heard your stories. And when I started this podcast, I had to have you on it because hearing your story made me fall in love with you and your designs so much more. I meet a lot of people and your story really stayed with me. I think because of the underlying Disney princess narrative that goes through a lot of of things, but we'll get to that later. So I guess for me, I want to hear how did you first fall into this industry? I didn't really have much knowledge of the fashion industry 
when I was younger. Um, sewing was just something that I loved doing. Um, as you mentioned, I love Disney. And I think just watching those films and being inspired by those films, plus my grandmother sewed and I was always around her and I would just play with scrap pieces of fabric. So I was just from age three making things out of wrapping paper and newspaper and forcing my friends to model them and not knowing that it was a career path or anything like that. It was just a passion. And it was when I was around age 11, I set about making a dress for one of my best friends. And it was a dress that we had seen in Vogue and... At 11. Yeah. (laughs) I love that you saw it in Vogue at 11. Yeah. And, you know, 11-year-olds don't really have the budget to buy outfits that are being (laughs) photographed in Vogue. So I just said, well, why don't we try making it? And my grandmother helped me. She went and got a, a pattern for me and took me to the fabric store. We got the fabric and set about making it and it turned out great and then another friend saw it and they wanted one and another friend wanted one with some minor alterations and it kind of just snowballed from there and I ended up finding myself doing my friend's school formal dresses and drawing and sketching and it just kind of really excited me so when I was around 12 was when I kind of realized that this could be a possible career path And um, that's when I came up with the name Paolo Sebastian, which is just a play on my full name, which is Paul Sebastian Vassilov. Yes. And from there, I was making school formal dresses and my friends would go to their school formal and they would get best dressed and and their friends would see the dresses and want one. And I was 15 in school and and had this part-time gig of making evening gowns. And so I would go Wednesday nights, I would go to sewing classes. Saturday mornings, I would go to um, art classes. Yeah. And I would just, yeah, I, I loved every second of it. It was a real, so much creativity, I guess, that was going on and dreaming and having those, um, setting those goals and aspirations for what I wanted my life to look like and, and planning out a business. And when I was in year 12, picking my subjects for year 12, uh, a teacher came to me and said, you know, there's this subject called extension studies and it's really a, a plan your own topic, sort of like the research project that they do now. And I set about in, in that subject planning a fashion show and we raised money for Canteen. Oh, wow. I had absolutely no idea, any clue about putting on a fashion show. Um, I had been to the David Jones runway shows that they held here in Adelaide and was in complete awe of them. And I thought, yeah, that's that's what I want to do. I'm going to have a runway and I'm going to launch my brand. I remember walking into the hall that we hired and thinking, you know, this is going to be a disaster. It's going to be an embarrassment. We're going to be lucky to have 100 people show up to this thing. And the room's going to be empty and people aren't going to like the clothes. And I'm going to make a mockery of myself. But thankfully on the night, um, we had 660 people turn up. We were at capacity. There was a line down the block and we had a full page in the newspaper the next day and Paolo Sebastian was born. That sounds incredible. It was just the most incredible experience putting that together because I had, it wasn't just me doing it. It was my family, my friends all were involved in, in and rallied behind me to, to kind of get this show together. But it was, it was just so much fun. And still 
for me, one of my greatest career highlights. I love that. I just want to go back to, so firstly, for people that don't know, you live in Adelaide and grew up in Adelaide, which is in Australia. Yes. And it's, I mean, I'm not going to say a country town, but it is a... <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a smaller town. It's a, it's a smaller town. And I guess just hearing, I mean, my partner's from Adelaide and it doesn't have the bright lights and the flashy big city, but hearing that you were an 11-year-old boy living in Adelaide that was interested in fashion and Vogue, who was your biggest cheerleader? You know what I mean? Like who pushed you in that direction? Were there people saying no at that point? Because I find it really incredible. Yeah, um, I think definitely my my parents and all my family, my, my nonna were definitely so supportive and still are so supportive and I'm so grateful to to them because without them, none of this would be possible. And I think both my parents are science background. So everyone always asked me if I had some connection to the industry or someone in the field. My nonna, she just loved sewing. Um, she really thought of it as an art form and had a lot of, took a lot of pride in the things that she made. My parents really didn't have any idea of, of the industry or, you know, what it involved. And so they really, I'm so grateful to them because they really took it upon themselves to find and source people that could help me. So they put me into sewing classes and art classes and just tried to arrange as many opportunities as possible to broaden my knowledge. Because as a young teenager, one in Adelaide at that time, especially, there was not much of a fashion industry. And I was constantly being told that, you know, yeah, okay, if you want to pursue fashion, you will probably have to move interstate or overseas. You're not going to make it in Adelaide. I wanted to do couture and people would laugh because there was not a couture industry in Adelaide. And I found, as a young kid, I found that really hard because I had this amazing family and, and network of friends and support network that was kind of behind me and the thought of having to leave that was really hard to swallow. And and I did have to leave. Um, I was very fortunate to be uh, given an opportunity. I I, uh, received a scholarship to study in Milan at the European Institute of Design. Which Which is incredible. Well, yeah, at the time, um, I really didn't want to go. Yes. And I, I, I went because I thought it would be such a disservice to my family and my friends who had supported me and, and helped me along the way uh, to not to not take up the opportunity. So, and initially when I applied, I just put my name down and I sent in my portfolio and I forgot about it. I th- thought there's no way that I'm going to get in. And then one day I received this phone call saying, you know, you've, your application's been successful, we'll pack your bags, you're moving to Italy. So I did, I was 19. Had you been overseas? No, never. Never. Um, being a, a half Italian, I, I spoke a little bit of Italian, but I, I went to a foreign country, didn't speak the language, had never lived out of home or had to look after myself. I didn't know about cooking and cleaning and, and doing all those sorts of things. Um, so I got a lot of... Um, crash courses over Skype about <laughs> cooking and boiling pasta. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was an amazing experience. Um, but the second my final exam was over, I was on a plane back here. Um, like the, the year was incredible. My teachers were all amazing. Like um, my knitwear design te- teacher was the knitwear designer for Prada. Oh, wow. My illustrating teacher worked at Gucci. The pattern making teacher was a pattern maker for Dodge & Gabbana. So all these teachers and lecturers were within industry and 
I was given so many amazing opportunities to go to runway shows and present my work. My work got shown in uh, London for London Fashion Week, um, for um, Milan Fashion Week. We had a my a bridal collection was on display, so it was really an amazing year. But it wasn't the way I wanted to run my career. I, I always said that, and I knew that I wanted if I was going to do this, I was going to do it from Adelaide. And I would just take it as far as I could because I was happy working on my parents' lounge room floor. If I stayed there, then fine, so be it. Um, but if it worked out, then then great. I find that so incredible that you were given the opportunity to study over there, which is, I mean, so many people yeah. would dream of it. And then at the end, you were like, I'm going back to Adelaide. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think it's very, hum- <laughs> it's, very it's, it's very humbling to know that you wanted to come back. It sounds stupid when you say yeah. it. But <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. the time. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. I, one of the most unique things that I loved when I was researching your career path and your story was that Paolo Sebastian was actually your first job. Mm, yeah. <laughs> which I think is amazing. Oh my God, I would love to be able to say that my first job was actually for my own brand. But that was at 17. And how did that go? How did you work out the skills to start your own business? Well, I I started Palace Fashion when I was in um, year 12 and it was July, so halfway through year 12. Um, and I kind of used, because it was something that I knew that I wanted to do from a young age, I used every opportunity that I could during school to focus on my business. So I did um, business studies at school. So our major assignment and exam was on our um, business plan. So I wrote a business plan for Paolo Sebastian and I had my teacher who was amazing help structure it and work out, you know, what I needed to do, what research I needed to do. My English teacher, if wherever we had to do a report writing, I'd do a report on Paolo Sebastian. Um, my major art assignment, I did a catalogue for Paolo Sebastian. So I finished year 12 with all this collateral and everything ready, set up to go. Wow. And I guess I knew the type of business that I wanted to run was extremely high level, extremely professional. And I just knew that I had to conduct myself in that way. And I did a heap of work experience, everyone that would take me in. I did work experience in in retail stores, in at dressmakers, at tailors, everywhere that I could. And then when I graduated from year 12, I had also six years of sewing classes behind me. So um, I knew that I always wanted to further my studies and I am still now trying to further my studies. I think we never stop learning. But I sought out a a tailor here, um, Tafabi Brother Tailoring, who originally are from Milan. And they agreed to take me on um, as sort of an apprentice. And so I would go there and learn um, about tailoring. And um, I just knew that wanting to follow a path of couture, there wasn't really any courses or any um, study here in Australia that I that I could yeah. pursue. So I had to kind of set about planning my own learning path. And I would read books and just anything that I could. I was like a sponge trying to trying to find out as much information as I could. And I, I practiced. I would just sew. I was still making, I was taking orders for clients. And with each dress, I got a little bit better and a little bit better. And I would try new things. And um, I think just engaging and, and meeting with clients, I would learn so much about women and what they wanted and and how they wanted to feel and look. Yeah. And um, I think the thing that still drives me today is that, that idea of transformation. And, you know, when you put on this, 
garment, you are this heightened version of yourself and, and being able to, to create that for people is, is a wonderful feeling. So striving to achieve that each time and, and, and working out how to do that and understanding body shapes and, and all, all of those things helped to kind of get me to where I needed to be hearing that and how hard you worked. And I mean, starting the business in year 12, I remember what year 12 was and thinking of starting a business during that (laughs) that time. A lot of sacrifice would have come with that. And I guess I would love to just chat about for a second is some of the unseen sacrifices that you've had to do. I mean, I'm looking at you now in this amazing showroom with these beautiful gowns behind you. And I think some people just don't know the sacrifice that's involved in creating your own business and, and your own success. Yeah, I mean, look... Nothing comes without sacrifice. And I think, again, I was very fortunate to have a wonderful support base behind me, but everything that I had grown at that time, nothing was ever handed to me. So, you know, in order to, to study, to work, to get clients and all of those things, I had to sacrifice a lot of time. Um, yeah. My, my friends were going out. They were, you know, we were turning 18 and people were going out to clubs and, and, and bars and things. And I couldn't do any of that because I just didn't have the time. So I was very fortunate that my friends understood that. And when they wanted to see me, they would come and sit by me and they would, while I was sewing under a heap of chul or fabric, um, they would just, you know, move the fabric off the chair and sit next to me and talk and, and catch up uh, while I was working. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. Or they would help, they would pick up a needle and thread and they'd stitch on a button and I'd teach them how to how to do that. Yes. But it was hard work. And even, you know, in the younger years, I had to sacrifice a lot to make sure that I had time to do my study. So during school, I would go to the library at lunch to work on my homework so that I then could go home and sew. So I would sew, as soon as I get, got home, I'd sew until 3 a.m. in the morning, and then I'd get up the next morning at 7 a.m. to catch the bus to school. So it was just this constant repeat of yeah. just nonstop work and, and wanting to grow myself and be better. And I'm also a very social person, so for <laughs> me that was hard because I would see people going out and catching up. And, you know, I'd learn the hard way because sometimes when I would go out, I would have to work double as hard to catch up on my work and you know when you've got clients and you've got deadlines you can't not meet them yeah and being professional and presenting myself professionally um because you know I'm working in a couture business is something that it has always been the most one of the most important things to me so um you know I I never want to let anyone down so making sure that I meet all of those deadlines and making sure that I live up to the expectations of the clients and um, and of myself is is really important. Can I ask about the moment that your dress was hanging in a room with a few other dresses and Juliana Ranzik picked up your dress and put it on? Yes. <laughs> Can we just touch on that? Sure. <laughs> People say like, how does it happen? And I love this story because it is really like, you got to put yourself out there. You got to be, just got to go for it. Yeah. So um, I was, had been a big fan of Juliana and we just randomly got an email from her stylist, Monica Rose. So we had done, we'd done local red carpets like Logies and Brownlows and things like that, but hadn't really done anything internationally. And Randomly out of the blue, got an email from Monica Rose, who was Juliana's stylist at the time. And she was also styling all of the Kardashians as well. And she just said, 
hey, um, Juliana Ranzik is looking for dress options for the Oscars. She's really into Australian brands, so we found you. And we'd love if you could send over some of your collection. Oh, wow. And she had attached some images that she had found on our website. And there was about six pieces there. And the fitting was to be on the Thursday that week. And it was Tuesday. Oh, wow. And the fitting was in L.A., And it was four o'clock. At that time, we weren't doing much internationally. So the post office was our only option. The post office closed at five. It was four o'clock. We just went like, ran like mad around the studio, just ripping dresses off mannequins and with mounds of tissue paper, just packing them into this big box. And we got to the post office with a few minutes to spare. And the lady goes, oh, your box is too big. We can't, (laughs) we can't send it across. And I'm like, lady, please, (laughs) please. This is my dream. This is like, this might be worn at the Oscars, please. Yes. And I I begged her and then she's like, all right, I'll put it through for you. This one time thing, I can't do this again. (laughs) It, It went off and didn't hear anything. And it was two months later and it was the morning of the Oscars and for some reason I and I never wake up early I'm one of those really late I'm a night owl and I woke up instinctively at 6am on the dot and checked my phone and looked on Instagram and then there was a photo of Juliana Rasik wearing my dress goosebumps and it was just yeah I can't describe to you the feeling Um, you know as I said I always wanted to see my dresses on the Oscars red carpet. So to finally see that happen was the most surreal, unbelievable experience. And even though it's happened multiple times now and multiple other red carpets like SAGs and Golden Globes and all of those sorts of red carpets, it still doesn't feel real to me. Yeah. But it's just such a wonderful, incredible feeling because I remember as a young kid watching staying up to watch the Oscars and looking at the red carpet and being amazed by these beautiful actresses wearing these incredible couture gowns yes and to think that mine has joined that same red carpet um is an incredible feeling so I was you know on cloud nine (laughs) for like a good couple of months (laughs) the rest of that year you floated through yeah (laughs) I have goosebumps because it's just I think it's when it happens and you've worked really, really hard for it. Mm. And then you get to that moment and it happens. It's really quite unbelievable. Something else that I loved when I first met you was around Disney with Frozen. Yes. (laughs) I mean, the opportunity to work with such an iconic brand as Disney is just, I think it's every little girl and every little boy's dream. Disney's it. Do you know what I mean? So how did that happen? Well, so to give a bit of backstory, I before I knew fashion was a career path that I could follow, I always thought that I would be an animator for Disney because oh, wow. I was just so obsessed with everything Disney and not just not just the films but the actual artistry of the animation. And I think that's carried over into my work because there's a lot, if you look at a lot of the dresses, they're very light and floaty and airy. Yes. I would sit and watch my VHS films on pause and I would do frame by frame just so I could watch oh, wow. each moving hand and, and, and the way the, the dress would move or whatever, you know, in Cinderella, the way that her, she would um, go through her transformation. I would watch that frame by frame because I was just amazed by how the animators made that happen. That was always my dream. 
And then obviously I followed a slightly different path. Yes. But we, we were moving studios from the little studio that we were in back in 2014 to this much bigger two-story building that we are now in. And I was just reflecting on my life and career as I was packing up my office and I had Disney music playing in the background. And I think the Sleeping Beauty soundtrack came on and Sleeping Beauty is one of those films that if anyone's seen it, you know what a stunningly beautiful film that is. Yeah. You could pause it anywhere in that film and frame it and put it on your wall because it's just the, the detail that goes into um, each of those backgrounds and characters is just incredible. Mary Costa, who's the voice of Princess Aurora, is just, for me, she's my favourite Disney voice. And Once Upon a Dream is just a song that has kind of inspired me my whole life. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I just felt the urge to write her a letter and just say yeah. thank you because your voice and the character that you played um, and that film has really helped me in my life and helped to inspire me and inspire my work. So I just want to say thank you. So I wrote this letter and I did a sketch and I sent through a lookbook of our collection, our um, Sleeping Garden collection, which was also kind of loosely inspired by Sleeping Beauty. And again, sent it off, didn't think anything of it. Then about a month later, I was expecting a phone call from a stylist in the States and this US number comes up and I pick up the phone expecting to hear the stylist on the other end, but it's Mary Costa. And she says, hello, <laughs> this is Mary Costa. I'm the voice of Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty. Um, you wrote me a letter <laughs> and I, my jaw dropped, I nearly dropped the phone. I could not believe that she was on the other end of the line. And we just hit it off. We were on the phone for about an hour just chatting and um, we kept in touch. You know, every so often I would, we'd call each other. She would send me Valentine's Day cards and call me for my birthday and we'd call each other for Christmas. And one year after the Oscars, um, she called me to say Happy New Year and she said I was watching the Oscars red carpet and I didn't see any of your dresses. And I said, oh, you know, Mary, it's, it's hard. Like we, we try, we send things over, but they don't necessarily get worn. Yeah. And she said, well, you know, if I can ever help you with anything, you let me know. I've still got contacts at Disney. I said, okay, thank you. And um, our 10-year anniversary was coming up for Paolo Sebastian and I knew I wanted to do something exceptional. And um, with every collection that we do, there's always a theme, a really strong theme behind them. Yeah. And Disney is obviously something that's carried me throughout my life and my career. And I thought it'd be great to do an homage to Disney. Yes. And, and not just, you know, make princess dresses, but actually delve in deeper and, and create dresses inspired by the emotion and, and the real craftsmanship and, and, and artistry of Disney. So I told my idea to Mary. She said, okay, leave it with me. The next day, uh, I get a phone call from the head of Disney publicity in the States. And they said, okay, Mary's been in touch with us and she's shown us your videos and your website. And we feel that your brand is a really great fit for our brand. And she said that you had some ideas. So we just wanted to chat about what you had in mind. And so they invited me up to the studio in LA. Oh, wow. And I got a behind-the-scenes tour of the Disney Animation Studios, which was probably one of the best days of my life um, because, again, as a kid, I used to watch the making of, of each of these films. And they granted me the rights to use their lyrics on, on the dresses. So we created 
um, embroideries and dresses inspired by all of the classic songs and built the collection from there. And we, we showcased it at the Adelaide Fashion Festival and had this amazing show. It was a huge success and we had a great response from it. And then when Frozen 2 came out, Disney got in touch with me again and they asked us to put a capsule collection together inspired by Frozen 2, which is when, <laughs> when we showcased it and you were at the presentation and um, we got to sit next to each other. We had our moment. <laughs> There's been so many amazing opportunities that you've had and, and pinch me moments. Do you ever have that moment where you kind of feel like a bit of an imposter? Yes. That you feel like, <laughs> how am I doing this? Absolutely, all the time. <laughs> um, I can think of two instances where that, that really jump out to me. The first was when we went to Paris for the first time to show our couture collection. It had always been my dream to go to Paris and it was kind of in my 10-year plan um, to maybe showcase there one day. And you know Chris Contos yes. very well, um, who was working for the Adelaide Fashion Festival at the time. Um, I was speaking to him and Rob, Robert Ingenson about wanting to go to Paris. And they, they had come to visit me because we had just done the big show for Adelaide Fashion Festival. And after that, I had a lot of orders come through and I was just working really hard. And they said, you know, Paul, you look really, really tired. And I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> but, you know, the goal is Paris. I just, I'm, I need to get there. And so a week later, they got in touch with me and said, you know, we would love to come in and, and chat to you about your trip. And I said, what, what trip? <laughs> and they said, well, you said you wanted to go to Paris. So we want to get you there. Oh, gosh. And I was like, yeah, I asked for lots of things, but it doesn't mean I get them. <laughs> they said, well, there's a trade mission um, going to Paris and it happens to fall in line with Couture Week. So we thought it'd be a great idea for you to get a collection together, um, <laughs> which we had not started, and showcase it. So, you know, we kind of, the team and I, we scrambled to get this collection together. And I was just so nervous about everything that I, we put this collection together, didn't even get to see everything finished all together on a rack or anything like that. It was just as they were finished, quick, pack them up, we've got to go. So I'm on this plane to Paris and I get there and I get told, okay, so you can't call yourself couture. And I'm like, oh, but that's out the work that's gone into this. It's couture work. And they said, no, 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 you can't, you can't say couture in France. It's a big no-no. And I'm like, are you sure? I can't say couture. I can't say haute couture. I know that. Yes. Um, because haute couture is basically the, it, I guess you could view it as sort of a Michelin star um, for the fashion industry. So to be able to call yourself haute couture, um, at the moment, there's only, I think, around 25 brands that have the right to use that. So this person that I was speaking to had completely obliterated us and we thought, oh, okay, so what are we going to say now? Because I had in my head, we were meeting with buyers, we were meeting with media, yeah. influencers, all sorts of people. And I was kind of everything that I had spent my life learning about was ripped from underneath me. And I had no idea what I was going to talk about. And they said, the other thing is you can't retail in any <laughs> stores. And I said, well, but we don't, we, we sell couture, one-off pieces to some stores, but we, we're not, you know, we're not selling size eight, you know, no. 10 size eights to 
um, multiple stores or anything like that. And they said, no, no, no. And so I went, this is the night before our showing and I rocked up in the morning. Like I, I thought I was going to throw up because I thought I'm, I feel so ill prepared now. And, um, you know, I was already nervous about showcasing my collection in Paris, you know, in, in the real world, I guess. Yeah. But thankfully the first person that I spoke to was one of the head PR agencies who worked in Haute Couture. And he said, no, 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 you can absolutely call this couture. This is couture work. You've done couture work and you're absolutely right. You can sell. I said, oh, that's fine. Don't worry about a thing. You're fine. And so I thought, okay, that weight was lifted. But then I was still nervous about showcasing this collection. And then we had people come in from the Dior runways, the Chanel runways. And so they were going from these major shows to then ours and they had really wonderful things to say. And so I felt an immense amount of relief, but I just remember going in there feeling like an absolute imposter. I thought, what am I doing here? Um, I don't deserve to be here. Yeah, Paris is the heart of, of couture. Going there and showcasing my work there is really nerve-wracking. Um, the, the second time was when I was nominated for the Australian of the Year Award. First up, I was nominated for South Australian of the Year. I went to the award ceremony without a speech prepared or anything because I thought I'm, I'm not even in the running for this. And I didn't tell my parents about it. Um, last minute, I was urged by the event organisers to just invite them. And I said, <laughs> all right, sure. Um, I felt bad because, you know, it was six o'clock and mum and dad do so much. Yeah. And my brothers do so much to help as it is like, you know, when there's a runway show and stuff, they're there building the sets, laying grass. Cause I always want grass and things and, and trees. <laughs> um, so they always do so much. Yeah. I thought I can't ask them to, you know, leave work early to come to this. But in the end I told them about it and they came and thankfully they did because yeah. I ended up receiving the award for South Australian of the year. Incredible. Young South Australian of the year. And then at the end of that ceremony got told that I would be then going in the running to the national awards and I thought, this is just a joke. I don't know why I'm here. It's very nice that they've included me. And even my mum was a bit like, you know, don't feel upset if you don't win. And I was like, mum, don't even worry about it. I know I'm not going to win. And I was just very grateful to be standing in a room with the most amazing people who were doing incredible things. And then the Prime Minister called out my name and my heart just dropped and I sat there for a good few seconds thinking did they did they mean to call out someone else was there another Paul in the group (laughs) and then I heard my last name it felt like the gap between my first name and my last name was like a whole 10 minutes and then um in the presentation because they put this video package together there's Carrie Bickmore, Michelle Bridges all these amazing people talking about me and and my career and 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 the dresses and Pally Sebastian even still, you know, it's a, it's a real pinch me moment to think that that happened to me. It's a pinch me moment to think that I'm talking to an Australian of the year. <laughs> even better, an Australian of the year that won for fashion, which makes it even better. And, and is inspired by Disney princesses. That's, it's, it's really the trifecta. <laughs> so this is the fun bit, which I love asking. What was mm. your sliding doors moment that changed the path that you were on mm. and ultimately led to your success? I think probably going to Milan yes. was definitely the, the sliding door. You know, I really wonder where I would be if I hadn't gone or if I hadn't applied for that scholarship. And I often do think of that. 
it was one person selected to go um, in the whole country. Which is incredible. So, yeah, I, I would wonder where I would be had I not applied or had I not gone to Milan or had I stayed in Milan, where I would be. And, you know, it, or if I had at any point given in to people that said, you know, you, you should pick a normal job, a safe job, I wonder what I would be doing. Can we talk about that for a second? Because yeah. I feel like I love a good hater story and how we overcome a hater. <laughs> and I'm sure there were a couple in your time. So I would yeah. love to just hear about that and how you overcome it and kind of shoved it in the nicest way possible. Oh, I can recall a few instances. People that didn't really understand how serious I was or that and, and, you know, rightly so, there's this young kid who's saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, you know, one day you'll see my dresses on the Oscars red carpets. And you go, yeah, sure, kid. Um, <laughs> it's a normal reaction. <laughs> but um, thankfully I was headstrong, still headstrong enough um, and stubborn enough to, to not let it bother me. But um, there were multiple times where people would say to my parents, like, you know, what are you doing? You can't just let your kid run wild. Um, not that I, you know, I'm like... He's running wild in the lounge. So well behaved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well behaved. And I was, you know, I, I don't drink or do drugs or smoke no. or anything like that. But it was just, you know, Paul's running wild. His parents are letting him do, <laughs> you know, whatever it is he wants. But, you know, and that was really hard for myself and for my parents because they felt that they were doing the right thing by letting me just do what I needed to do. Yeah. But, yeah, it's certainly hard having someone tell you, no, you can't do that. I have learned over the years to really understand criticism and understand what is constructive criticism and what is just plain negativity. Yeah. There's always criticism that, that comes with anything. And, and it's hard. I, I find as each season goes on, the pressure that I feel with each collection builds and builds and builds because our following grows, our client base grows, yeah. our team grows. And so I feel like I'm always feeling some level of, of pressure to, to perform. Um, but I guess you've got to do it for yourself and try not to worry about what other people think. It's hard when you're a creative and you share yourself, you know what I mean? And yeah. you're in your bubble and then all of a sudden you get everybody else's opinion and you're like, how do I block out this opinion versus another opinion? Yes. And which do I listen to? Which do I not listen to? I get hit up and I'm sure you're the same with so many people wanting to know, how do you go it alone? You know what I mean? How do you start a career? Mm -hmm. What's the advice that you would give somebody that wants to start their journey themselves? I get asked this a lot and I think the advice that I always like to give to people, and even if it's not in a creative field, if you want to start your own business or forge your own path, I think it's really important that you do it for the right reasons. Yes. I think a lot of people, particularly in fashion, they, they want to get into the fashion industry because they think that they're going to become or they want to become famous or they want to be seen or go to these amazing parties. I can tell you right now <laughs> that I don't get, to, you know, sometimes I get to go to amazing parties and yeah. meet amazing people, but that's a very, very small portion of my job. A lot of my job is really, really hard work and long hours and, and trying to push myself to learn and to be better. So I think doing it for the right reasons, because you love it, because you're passionate about it, because you can't live another day if you don't do that thing, that's first and foremost the start that you need. And then I think it's important to really think of your end goal and always work towards that end goal. Um, like, 
For me, I know when I started Paolo Sebastian in my parents' lounge room versus now, the goal has always been the same and the attitude and the professionalism that I've carried myself with has always been the same. It's just as I've grown as a business, I've been able to do the things and offer the things that I want to as time has gone on. But I've still often the same level of service as I did from a lounge room as I do now. Yes. And I think the other thing that I love sharing, and I think you'll like this as well, um, it's something that Mary Costa shared with me and it's something that Walt Disney shared with her. It's having the 3D. So you start off with your dream, but then you also need discipline, dedication and determination to push yourself forward to achieving those goals. I love the three Ds. That's good. That's a good one. I just wanted to touch on the dress that I wore to the Melbourne Cup because it's got to be one of the most (laughs) reposted photos I've ever had. And I saw it the other day. Yeah. It came up again. It's not going to leave us. I feel like it's (laughs) it's a strong bond between the two of us. But it, yeah. it was a real moment for me in my career. You know what I mean? I've worn a lot of amazing things, but there was a craftsmanship and there was a love and there was just magic that came when I wore that dress. I'm glad. Yeah, but it was like from start to finish with your staff that worked on just communicating it to, to the girls, sending it in the giant box with all the tissue paper that I was like, I'm never going to be able to repackage this <laughs> thing back to them again. You know, I have to say my team around me is is pretty amazing and they um it, it like you said it, it's hard working out which opinion to listen to um but i've fortunately got a really good group of people and talented people around me that help keep me in check and then if if something looks a bit weird they say you, know, you might want to think rethink <laughs> that design or <laughs> that that embroidery that color that fabric your team are incredible. I was lucky I met two of your... Um, they love you. Well, I love they them. They love you. So I'm happy to just move in with them and have them like make things for me. <laughs> They're amazing. And I think it's a reflection. I always say the fish rots from the head down. And I think it goes both ways when it's an amazing head of the business. It, go, it filters all the way through. And you can see that with oh. everybody that works for you. Thank you. There's a magic to your creations that like you got to see it to believe it. Like they're beautiful, beautiful creations. And I just... Thank you. It will forever, that moment will forever be with me because I felt like a princess. And I know a big thing for you is is making women have that transformation and looking at themselves in that heightened version. And you really, really did it for me, my friend. Really, really did. Oh, thank you. Well, that means a lot. I mean, look, that's why we do what we do here. That's why I think that's why we keep going. And hearing that is what pushes me forward to want to do that again and do more of it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I need to go home and watch Sleeping Beauty frame by frame. (laughs) Watch it frame by frame. But I also just love that you're doing all of this from Adelaide. Like it encourages people that you don't have to be overseas. You don't have to be in Paris. You know what I mean? if If you're passionate enough and driven enough, you really can do it from anywhere. Yeah. And look, I think if you can dream it, you can do it and um, you can make it possible. I like that. It's very Disney inspired. (laughs) I think that's actually a Disney quote. It might be a Walt Disney quote. That's fine. We're good with that. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining me on Sliding Doors. It's been an amazing insight into the incredible, incredible career that you've made. 
Thanks so much, Elle. And congratulations to you for everything that you've achieved and all the inspiration that you give to people on a daily basis. So um, yeah, it's a real honour to be on the show. Thank you. I really should have organised a gown to wear during this podcast interview because I would have liked to have been... <laughs> we, should have, we should have done that. I know. I really... You know what? Round two, I'm definitely getting one because I'd really like to be sitting here yeah. corseted in. <laughs> we'll sort it out. <laughs> Thank you. Sliding Doors is hosted by me, Elle Ferguson, producer Tina Matalov, audio production by Darcy Thompson, executive producer Jennifer Goggin, and a special thanks to my manager, Camille Toulouse, for always being a fresh pair of ears on each episode. Listener.